0: All right, I want to read to us the text today, uh, say a few things, and then we're going to jump into the study, all right? So here is the text today. We are in John's Gospel, John 9, verse 1. Uh, we're, well, to take a look at the whole sort of passage It's long. Uh, it's a story of a, ma- a man who was blind, that Jesus heals, but it also illustrates the nature of Christ's kingdom and the, king that he, the, the kingdom that he came to bring. All right, here we are. Here's the passage. As he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the light, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world." Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see. And I pray today that you would open our eyes to see you, newly to see our responsibility in this world. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd open our eyes to understand this scripture, this text, Holy Spirit, bring understanding to our hearts in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Easter Sunday, here's the times, 9.15. All right, sorry, 9, woo, get that right, Ten, fifteen, and eleven thirty. So different times than normal. We have three services Easter Sunday. You want to be there in person or online, so make sure uh, you register ahead of time, so you save your spot in person uh, if you're coming in person on Easter Sunday. You can sign up for Easter baptisms on the Connect card. I'd like you to do that, you know, on either online or the Connect card's in the back of the pockets if you would like to get baptized on Easter Sunday also, coming up this Holy Week, right, Palm Sunday begins the sort of Holy Week narrative. We have Monday, Thursday, which is uh, 6.30 online only, and also Good Friday, which is 6.30 online only. We have bags to help you experience those in a, a kind of more experiential way, uh, those services, and so those will be online this year uh, as we celebrate Holy Week. Also, you can pay attention to our social media. If you don't already follow us on Instagram and the rest of them, uh, we will be posting little devotionals every day of Holy week, just scripture reading and some thoughts to help guide you through uh, this holy week, P- turning our focus on to Jesus who is Central in understanding everything. All right, about life and all of it. All right, so Palm Sunday—that's the day. All right, we celebrate when Jesus came in on the colt. Palm branches—you uh, uh, know—were were were waved, and coats laid out, and people celebrated and cried out, "Hosanna!" And so I want to say that Palm Sunday teaches us to see and to see some things very specifically, and that's what the, the focus of this text is: is a blind man whose eyes are open, and I'm proposing to you that this blind man whose eyes are open. Is, is an illustration of what Palm Sunday, at, in, in its greater context, it helps us to see. and there's four things that we're going to talk about today. Here they are. Palm Sunday teaches us to see what's really wrong with the world. Palm Sunday teaches us to see what will not fix the world. Palm Sunday teaches us to see what will really fix the world. And Palm Sunday teaches us to see ourselves in the story of God. And so I want you to be able to see all four of those things today in our time together. So what's really wrong with the world? Well, if you were listening closely to the reading of 9, 1, and 2, you'll see there was a really tricky question raised to Jesus. And I like that the Scripture is unafraid to raise complicated questions. I mean, the Bible just isn't afraid to raise the really challenging questions. When we first started New City 11 years ago, we used to have a sign at the entrance of every service that just said, a safe place to ask questions, all right? So if you're a skeptic, and, and you're kind of on the edge of faith, and you're like, oh, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, that's okay. Really, it truly is okay for you to be around uh, New City and this way because, you know, we we really want to entertain the tougher questions, and Jesus entertains the tougher questions. Look at verses 1 and 2. So he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him. So these are Jesus' followers. They're like, okay, Jesus, we want to understand the complicated things about life. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why this pain for this man? Like, where, where is the sin connection to this man's pain? That seems to be a question that maybe many of us have wrestled with in our own lives. Like, why is this happening to me? And why this particular pain? And why this particular, you know, sort of story? Why this particular sickness or whatever, whatever? You fill in the blanks. Like, we all have, like, kind of these narratives, these storylines where we kind of go, what is the reason or the source of this particular pain? Uh, it's really interesting. At the time, rabbis were hotly debating this topic. Uh, could, if you were born like with a with, you know, some kind of you know blindness or some other you know sort of physical ill you know illness, was that because your parents were sinners or? The rabbis were discussing at the time, is that because you sinned in the womb? <laughs> Don't think about that too hard, but that was some the question at the time. It was it, like, can you sin in the womb? And, and it was hotly debated. Or was God foreseeing that you would sin in the future and punish you preemptively? And that was also uh, a thinking of the time. And so they're asking this question of Jesus going, like, why does this man have blindness? What's going on? Now, we we think in these terms often in our you know, common everyday interactions with one another. Uh, uh, for example, is it true that you reap what you sow? Like we say that all the time, like you reap what you sow, you know, what comes around and goes around, you know, these are the kinds of phrases that we kind of toss around, and, and sometimes it's true, right? Sometimes it's true that you reap what you sow. But in Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes notices that there's a certain vanity of the world. There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, And and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also a vanity. Maybe you've observed this in life too, that there are some truly wicked people who seem to prosper in life. It doesn't seem that what goes around doesn't seem to come around, and it doesn't seem that you reap what you sow, and they're sowing all kinds of you know, sinful things, and they seem life seems to be going well for them. And Maybe you've seen people who are righteous relatively. They're good people, and bad things happen to good people, and you go, what's going on? Why is this good person experiencing all these bad things? I thought you reap what you sow, and what goes around comes around. Why this pain for this person? I got to play uh, golf with, uh, yesterday with my son Micah, and we got to go out and hit some golf balls. And one of my favorite golf sayings, it's like one of my favorite. Like if you hit a good golf shot, uh, a, golf, a golfer will sometimes say to you, oh, that's good living right there. Like the idea is that you hit that good golf shot because you've been living good, and the golf gods have, been, you know, have shown favor on you. That's yeah, good living. You know, and we say things like that often in our common vernacular. Like you must have done something good to deserve this when something good goes your way. And we tend to sort of connect, like if something good goes my way, it's because I deserved it. I did something good. If something bad comes my way, then maybe I did something bad, and I deserved you know this bad thing. Or why did I deserve this? I didn't deserve this. And we have this sort of conversation about the things that happen in life. Again, the author of Ecclesiastes helps us here. Listen, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Doesn't it sometimes seem like life is a little random? Sometimes seem like things randomly happen to people, and it's not like, it's not like something that is, you know, like you didn't deserve it. It just happened. It just randomly happened, randomly good or randomly bad. and It seems like sometimes like, life is pretty unpredictable. But we know that life is not all random. That there is causality. Like there is causality. Galatians teaches this in Galatians 4. So, what you read in Galatians 4 is the Apostle Paul saying, There is a principle that you reap what you sow. Do not be deceived, he says. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Oh, boy. It Feels like this is getting really complicated. Is your brain hurting a little bit? It's like okay, life is kind of random, and and sometimes you don't reap what you sow, and sometimes righteous people you know prosper, or sometimes you know or, or, or don't prosper, and sometimes you know wicked people prosper, and and then then you go, but there are some principles here. Like you do reap what you sow. For the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption, and but the one who sows from the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. That there is a there is a sowing and reaping principle. Like you sow from the flesh, self centered desire, things will, will happen. There, there's some negative consequences to fleshly living. There's negative consequences to alcoholism. There's negative consequences to pornography addiction. There's negative consequences to fill in the blank, whatever the sin is, the struggle is. Like there's negative, you, you reap from the Spirit, God centered, others centered. There, there are some positive things that come with that along the way, including eternal life. Sin, sin does have both temporal and eternal consequences. Like sin, sin, sin is consequential, right? for the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Like sin is consequential. The Bible says there are consequences to the the reality of sin in the world. But there also, there are injustices experienced in the randomness and unpredictability of the world because of the curse of sin in a general sense. And so here's kind of getting at the answer. So this man born blind, is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? Well, It is because of sin, but not necessarily because of his sin or his parents' sin. Because pain is not always related to your personal sin, but it is always related to the presence of sin. Because the world is under a curse. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.21, it's under bondage. It's like it's under bondage to corruption. It's under bondage to decay. So why does cancer happen and why is it sometimes so random and it doesn't you know cancer doesn't just strike people who deserve it, right? I mean cancer is like, you know, it happens, why does COVID happen? Why why you know why why sickness? Why illness? Why blindness? Because sin's in the world and the world's dying. And the world's dying. Why? Because of sin in the world. And Jesus has come to address that issue that you cannot address on your own. See, pain is a product of sin in a general sense, and sin is a problem we cannot fix. Like, if you could live the perfect life and you could overcome sin and you could resist the temptation, like, Jesus wouldn't have to have left heaven and come to earth for you. The way the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 5 is that we are dead in our trespasses, like, incapable, Dead in our trespasses and sins. Incapable. But God has made us alive through grace. like He he did what we were incapable. We could not raise ourselves from the dead, but Christ, what did he do? He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again, and he overcame death. He overcame sin. That's why in Acts 4.12, the Bible says, there's salvation and no one else. No one else. There is no other name but the name of Jesus that you can be saved. Jesus, Him, him alone. Salvation in no one else. And so that brings us to Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes riding in on the cult, Colts are laid on the ground. Palm branches are waving. And Jesus sees the city, and this is what happens to Jesus. He weeps over a people who cannot see the solution because they haven't adequately identified the problem. You see, they think the problem is that they're not in earthly power. They think the problem is that they don't have a king uh, to help them overcome you know, the, their Roman oppressors. And they, they feel like their problem is primarily a physical problem. In fact, you'll see in our text in a few minutes that, that the problem being addressed in, 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 in John chapter 9 isn't a man's blindness physically, but the blindness of the Pharisees spiritually, and the problem isn't primarily a physical problem, but a spiritual problem. You'll see it in Luke 19. And when Jesus drew near and he saw the city, listen, he wept over it. He wept over it. He said, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long did gather use a mother hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings?" Or in Luke's passage, he says, "Would that you even had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now." They are hidden from your eyes. I've stood on the very hill that Jesus would have ridden in, looked at the city of Jerusalem, imagined Jerusalem just a bustle with people because this was a day that was set aside to pick your lamb. Palm Sunday was a day that you were required by Jewish law to choose your lamb, either from your own flock or uh, at, at this particular time buying it from the temple courts. And so you'd go and you'd buy. And so Jerusalem was full of people coming to buy their lamb for Passover. Just all these people looking for the lamb and missing the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, Jesus. They were worshiping him as an earthly king, but he came to lead a spiritual kingdom. They were worshiping him as a king who would lead like all other political powers, but he had come to bring a heavenly kingdom, a different kind of kingdom. You see, because the problem primarily that we're all dealing with is not physical, spiritual. Spiritual. You see, the physical pain in this world is a symptom of the spiritual problem, and that's the problem that Jesus came to address. You can say it this way, our earthly pain can only be healed by a heavenly Savior. And Jesus came to deal with that earthly pain by being our heavenly Savior. So Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a lamb who takes away sin, not as a king who crushes his enemies. They wanted a king to crush their enemies, but Jesus came as a lamb to take away sins. So when Jesus comes for his baptism in John 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He identified him right away. This is who he is. His kingdom is a kingdom that's led right by the Lamb who came to be slain for the sins of people. He came to lead through sacrifice. And so Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. He's going, you don't see. You see, but you don't see. And the Pharisees say to Jesus at the end of uh, John 9, 40 at the end of John the kind of Pharisees are going Jesus are you calling us blind are you saying that we're blind And he's saying yeah you're you're blind You're, you're seeing with eyes that are formed by the flesh but not eyes that are formed by the spirit you're blind so Palm Sunday teaches us to see what's what's really wrong with the world but Palm Sunday also teaches us what will not fix the world Uh, What's really wrong with the world is sin in the world generally, the presence of it, the curse of it. But what's not going to fix it? Well, the people wanted a kingdom of, of this world. That's what they wanted. That's what they thought they needed because they thought their primary problem was physical. But Jesus came to offer a heavenly kingdom so in Matthew twenty one eight, when they cut the branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road, and when the crowds went out before Jesus, yelling Hosanna, salvation has come from the Son of David, they're thinking right now in this moment only in physical terms, why Jesus is weeping. They're thinking about a physical kingdom. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna the highest. They don't really know yet what they're saying. We know what we're saying. We say Hosanna. We know what kind of king he is. We know what kind, of, what kind of kingdom he's come to bring. But this was still a mystery for them. It was a mystery to everybody. When Pilate was interviewing Jesus and going, Jesus, are you really a king? And you, are you really claiming to have a kingdom? And he says, yes, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, guess what? I'd be, my, my people would be fighting. My servants would have swords. And they'd be doing what all the other kingdoms do, but that's not how my kingdom has come. It doesn't come with swords, and it hasn't come fighting. Ray Vanderlaan says this, The people also wave palm branches as a symbol that had once been placed on Jewish coins when the Jew, Jewish nation was free. Thus, the palm branches were not a symbol of peace and love like, as Christians usually assume. They were a symbol of Jewish nationalism and an expression of the people's desire for political freedom. They were crying out for an earthly kingdom, and Jesus has come to bring a spiritual kingdom to address the real problem, which is spiritual. You could say the desire to pull Jesus into politics is nothing new. People were seeing him as an earthly political leader, and he's come to lead a kingdom that was not of this world. And Jesus came to deliver people spiritually, not to dominate them politically. So when Jesus came to preach his gospel, the good news that he came to preach, he said, The time is fulfilled, Jesus speaking. The kingdom of God's at hand. My kingdom's here, it's present. Believe in the gospel, believe in the good news of me as the king and my kingdom and his presence in the world. So what does Jesus' kingdom do then? It's not just explicitly spiritual because Jesus is redeeming the physical world. He's making everything new. Like He's redeeming the things that have been cursed by sin. He's, he's handling death, he's handling sickness, he's handling sadness, he's handling all the, all the things that, are, that, that rip us apart and tear us apart. I mean, he's, doing, he's, he's undoing all the things that are undoing us. So the kingdom of Jesus. Well, it brings healing. It brings healing. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, listen. When Jesus comes on the scene, and he's preaching his first message, he doesn't do anything by accident. And in Luke chapter four, Jesus preaches in Nazareth, and I stood in proximity in Nazareth where this moment happened. And I, I've, I've thought about this over, over and over and over again. Jesus is going. You know, the scroll of Isaiah is handed to Jesus. It could, could have been any passage, but God's sovereign. He's good. This is the passage. This is what's recorded. Jesus is saying, I want to give you the essence of my kingdom. What my kingdom is about. What my kingdom is about doing. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was the custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Listen to what he says. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, reco- oh, here it is, recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So John is writing his gospel. That was the passage we're studying in John 9 today. And John is writing this gospel so that you will believe. And he's he's, he's chosen these particular signs so you could know what to believe and how to believe about Jesus. And this is the sixth of the signs in John's Gospel. And he's putting on display this idea of Jesus healing the blind man because it's pointing back to this kingdom reality of Jesus. And healing is how Jesus puts on display his kingdom realities, how he does it. We're to come back to our text today. Jesus says, okay, the question about this man's parents or his sin causing his sickness he goes i want i want to i want to talk to you not about that particular you know, problem i want to talk to you about the real solution that i've come to bring he says it was not that the man sinned or his parents but I want to tell you what what's going to happen how i'm going to bring purpose to this pain how we're going to bring purpose out of this sickness and this illness it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God, the work of God, might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while this day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, he says. Having said these things, he spent on the ground, he did the work. He made mud with saliva, He, he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him go and wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent which is not coincidental so he went and washed and came back seeing and Jesus did work something we can learn about the work of Jesus is that Jesus is, 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 is right now in front of his disciples but also the Pharisees are very inquisitive about what's going on because he healed this man on the Sabbath day and this this work is, is calling the question the irreligious nature of Jesus' ministry and they're all kind of figuring out why are you working on the Sabbath and what's going on and, and Jesus is just sort of putting on display the kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is not for the powerful, it's for the powerless. You, you could say that all throughout the ministry of Jesus, is those who are most unlikely to receive Him because they didn't have the religious pedigree, were the most likely to receive Him. All throughout the text, because those who are most aware of their need were most aware of Jesus and His ability to meet those needs. You know, when the uh, the apostles were bickering about who was going to be right, who's going to be left in Jesus' kingdom, and who's going to be in charge, and who's going to be, you know, um, you know, when, when he comes into his physical kingdom, that's how they're all thinking, when he comes into his physical kingdom, who's going to be like the generals, and who's going to be what, and what, and, you know, and Jesus says, I, you don't understand my kingdom. You see how the Gentiles, they lord over people, and they rule over them, he says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever be great among you must be your servant. My, my kingdom is different. It's on the side of the marginalized. It's on the side of the poor. It's on the side of the oppressed. It's on the side of the blind. And so the Pharisees, not understanding this, were, were blinded. But I think in, in this text, they're blinded by their own religion. Uh, all they could see is Jesus sort of... M- bumping up against, and this is not biblical law, this is just sort of pharisaical law, but bumping up against pharisaical law, all the laws that are built upon the laws of God that said you could do this and you could do this on the Sabbath, and they're just so bent out of shape about Jesus healing on the Sabbath, they can't recognize that a healing happened. They can't recognize that this man has been, has been healed from his blindness, and there seems to be zero interest in that, and a whole lot of interest in who Jesus is and how he's disrupting the religious system. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we blind? Are you you calling us blind, Jesus? (laughs) And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. It's kind of cryptic, you cryptically know, worded. What's, what's he getting at? We're well, saying those who are, want, who are aware of their blindness are the ones who are equipped to see. It's the ones who think they see that are really blind. Another way of saying it is the, the more likely you are to trust in yourself, the less likely you are to trust in Jesus. The more likely you are to depend upon religion to save you, the less likely you are to depend upon Jesus to save you. To say it slightly another way, the more self-aware you become, the more likely you are to trust in Jesus. In other words, the more available you are to your own blindness, the more available you are to your own brokenness, the more available you are to your your own hunger and your own thirst and your own poverty, uh, the more available you are to Jesus and how he does solve the needs that you really have. The blind man's testimony is a clue to this. In, in John 9 25, the blind man says, You know what? I what do you say about Jesus? They're, they're questioning him. By the way, in John 9, there's like all these interviews. There's an interview with his parents, there's an interviews with him. And all these interviews, they're going to find out what's up with Jesus, what's up with you, and what's up with this healing. And, and the blind man goes, One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Here's my testimony Jesus came into my life, my eyes were opened. That's all I got. There's no complicated theology here. He's not going to give, uh, he's not going to write a paper on the Trinity. Uh, he's not going to he's not answer the question, is Christ of the same substance or like substance of, of God the Father? Like He just knows, I was blind and now I see and Jesus rescued me. It's a very simple testimony. And what Palm Sunday is teaching us here is what's really wrong with the world. What's really wrong with the world is the spiritual problem. the spiritual problems of sin. Uh, what will not fix the world Uh, the politics of the day and even religion but what will really fix the world (laughs) what 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 really is the answer well salvation cannot be found in politics or religion but salvation is found in jesus and him alone jesus and him alone as long as i am in the world he says i am the light of the world i'm the light of the world bruce milton says it this way he says we can We can make sense of a dark world only by believing in the one who came to be the light of the world. And so when you come in contact with the pain of the world, you go, how do I make sense of this? You know, who sinned that this pain is in the world? The only way you're going to make sense of anything is by coming into the light of the world, who illumines our eyes, who opens our eyes, who awakens us. And so to say this, I want to say salvation is saving faith is it's not about having all the right answers it's about believing in the right person this is this is i mean this is really the answer many people who are you know skeptics really have a hard time sort of just taking that step across the line of faith because they feel like they have got to have all their qu- all their questions answered and you know if at some point those of us who walk by faith have realized that all of our questions aren't going to be answered And I want you to see, like, what's happening in John 9 is, like, John is going, hey, I want to give you a sense of what faith looks like. Here's how faith progresses. Uh, And so what you see is, like, after all the questioning and all the sort of of inquisition this blind man is receiving for having received his sight, uh, like, his faith is just growing. Uh, You see it in verse 11. they They say, come on, you know, who healed you? He said, well, the man called Jesus. He healed me. They come back again, and they go, well, what do you say about him? And he goes, he's a prophet. The man Jesus, well, he's a prophet. By the way, John wrote his gospel so you could believe, okay? And he's giving you here in John 9 a sort of an anatomy of belief, what saving faith looks like. And so he goes from Jesus healed me, he's a prophet. (laughs) And then, then, then after some more inquisition, the man answers the Pharisees, why? Why? This, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And then a few, few verses later, he says, If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. At that, they said, Get out of here. <laughs> and so he left, and then Jesus finds him. And Jesus heard they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now listen to his saving faith. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in me? He's not asking him to believe in a political system. He's not asking him to believe in a religion. He's asking him to believe in a person. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He worshiped him. And so I have just a question to ask you today. Are you ready today to put your trust in Jesus? Are you ready to believe? You don't have to have all the answers. All you need is Jesus. Jesus and Him alone. I can tell you my testimony can be summed up just like this. I once was blind, and now I see. I just, had, I just had a flashback memory. This did not happen often in in preaching. But I, uh, wow, it was so weird. This had, I, mean, I, was, I was taken back to Kissimmee, Florida, in my mind's eye. In the middle of this field outside of Johnson University where I was going to school, where I became a Christian, I was sitting on one of those green electrical um, boxes. I, I don't know what they keep in them, but I know they're electrical and they hum and you probably shouldn't sit on them but I was sitting on one and it was out in the middle of the field adjacent to the college and I was just pleading with God I didn't know at the moment that I was asking for salvation I didn't know at the moment that I was asking for him to come into my life and to rescue me but that's exactly what I needed It was so weird, like as I was preaching in my mind's eye, I was was taking back to walking up to that green electrical thing, and even the feelings of like, I'm blind. Like, I don't understand. Why this, or why that, or what's going on? And then just a conversation with God, and like the lights came on. And I don't have a more complicated testimony than that, that I was blind and then, whoo, sight. A miracle of God. I, I guess my questions for you are, are you able to admit you're blind? Because if you are, you're in a great position. Because you could say, Jesus open my eyes. So if you're blind, you're able to ask Jesus to open your eyes. And I just wanted to ask you, Like, why not do it right now? Why not right now just go, you know what, like I'm in darkness right now, I don't know what's going on, I don't know where I'm going, and Lord Jesus, I need you to open my eyes. One of the most remarkable things to me in the book of Acts, especially in those early pages where the Spirit is moving, and the apostles are preaching, and people are coming to faith, if you just read it, like early early chapters, it's like somebody comes to faith in Jesus, and it goes... And that day, they got baptized. Right then, they got baptized. Right then, it happened. And so we got we baptisms coming up on Easter Sunday. We set up the baptistry a week ahead of time just because maybe somebody today will say, you know what? I believe for the first time. Believe. And I want to make it known that I believe that Jesus lived the life I could not live, died the death I should have died, was buried in the grave, rose again, and conquered sin and death. I just believe it. And I want the world to know. I want everybody to know that that's me. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. My sins have been buried away with Jesus. I've risen to new life, and he's overcome my sin. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8:36 he just sees water, and he says to Philip, look, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? If that's you today, there's no reason for you to delay. Look, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? You may not have come prepared, but we have clothes, we have shorts and towels and Shirts and everything you would need if you wanted to get baptized today. Palm Sunday teaches us to see. To see what's really wrong with the world. To see what will not fix the world. To see what will really fix the world. It's sin. Religion and politics are not the answer. Jesus alone is the answer. And to see ourselves in the story of God. And I'll just tell you, because of my wiring and who I am, I got stuck on verse 4 and I circled and underlined in my journal this week and just was like, yep, I I needed to hear that. Jesus says to his disciples, listen to what he says. We must work. We got to work. (laughs) We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. We must work the works of him who sent me. Bruce Mill says, in the larger sense, it anticipates the coming ages when the risen Lord would be at work in the world through his people, through, he says, there is urgency to be reckoned with. As the shortness of daylight stirs laborers to industry, that they may not be overtaken by the darkness of the night in the middle of their work. So when we see that a short time of life is allotted to us, we should be ashamed of laziness and idleness. Okay, all right, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, There have been seasons during COVID for me. I know some people have said, you know, they've said to me, oh, I've really... I've really thrived in COVID. It's been good, you know. I'm glad, I'm glad, I really am glad. I'm not, you know, I have not thrived through many of the seasons of COVID. And this, here's why. It, it, it really did hit me until this week reading, this, reading the text. I have work to do. In my, in my work, I am mean a pastor, my work is people. That's the work. It's lost people. It's hurting people. It's broken people. It's the poor in our city. It's the marginalized. It's the immigrant. I have work. Work to do. My work involves people. And being separate from people has been hard for me, because my work is people. It's people. And I want, to, I, want, I want to invite you in to some of what I feel, because we started New City eleven years ago. Because people matter, eternities matter, and Jesus is a Savior. And sin has consequences, and Christ has come to redeem sinners from sins. And I I want to see sinners saved so bad. Because that's what Jesus wants. That's the work. And when he gave us the Holy Spirit, he gave us the Holy Spirit to witness. To Judea, to Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the ages, like to witness. So I'm going to ask you a question. I really want you to think about it. Who's your one? Uh, here's what I mean by that. In Luke 15, Jesus gives some teaching to his disciples. He says to his disciples, I'm going to tell you some things about lost things. I'm going to tell you what God cares about the lost. He cares about the lost. He cares about the lost. He cares about the lost. And the first of the three examples is an example of a shepherd who has 99 sheep and he leaves the 99 behind to go for the one because the lost one matters. And you, you see it in Luke 15, 4. He says, go after the one that is lost. Go after the one that's lost. So my question to you is, who's your one? Who, who in your home, who in your workplace, who in your neighborhood, who in your life, who, who, who is it that God has put in your life specifically that eternity, their, their eternity is in question because they don't know Jesus? Who is it that the Holy Spirit has burdened you with to say, that's your one? It was so cool. In an earlier service today, someone came into service and said, hey, I brought my one today. And the one was just crying because the gospel is so good when you hear it. It's so good. When you, when you really hear the gospel, that you're not you know, alone in this world, that your pain does have purpose, that Christ has come to rescue people from pain, and that one day tears will be wiped away, that all the effects of sin are being undone by Christ, that he lived really the life that you couldn't live and offered you that life in exchange for your sinful life on the cross, and how he, he paid the penalty for every sin, he buried it away, rose again, conquered it, like that's good news, and when you hear that good news, and you, you go, wow, Like, I could be forgiven by God himself because of the finished work of Jesus. That's good news. So who's your one? Because, friends, we have work to do. We we have work to do. And I'm determined, coming out of this season of COVID, to set my mind to the work God has called me to do. It's the work that he's called each one of us to do.